Hey y'all, welcome to the Visit Roswell podcast where we talk all things tourism and hospitality related in Roswell, Georgia. We will be interviewing our partners all throughout the community and hopefully inspiring you to plan a trip to visit Roswell at your natural pace. Hello ladies and gentlemen, my name is Andy Williams. I'm executive director of Visit Roswell, which is the Roswell Convention and Visitors Bureau. And it's a pleasure to welcome you all, all of our listeners, back to our Visit Roswell podcast. And typically, you would be hearing from our marketing coordinator, Kendall Bagley. Um, but we have a very special guest today who happens to be my former boss from Destination South Meetings and Events, a, de- a DMC network company. Uh, so we thought actually having uh, me do the interview and, and, and talking to, uh, to Cynthia would kind of fit right in and, and be a little special for us. Um, so Cynthia, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Andy, and to Kendall, too, for setting this up. I am very honored to um, be the guest on the podcast today. I'm looking forward to it. We are looking forward to it as well. Um, So one of the things I want to hit on right now, just right off the bat, is the timing of this podcast. So we're coming off this this crazy election. You know, you've got COVID going on. There's just a lot happening in the world right now. Uh, So why are we talking about, uh, or why are we going to be talking about meetings and events and and the different things that some of these live events associations are doing to bring business back? Um, And and really what it comes down to is we've got to, we've got to keep moving. We've got a lot of folks who are, you know, trying to figure out ways to get back to business. We know that the travel industry has been drastically affected. Uh, We know that it has affected a lot of different jobs out there. There are still, quite frankly, a lot of people out of work. So out of work, so what we have to do is we actually have to have that conversation about how to get moving again. And, uh, and that's what a lot of this podcast is going to hit on. And we've got a lot of different interesting, exciting topics to cover. Um, but before we jump right into that, Cynthia, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, your timeline of progression throughout the travel industry, and, and really what led you uh, into your position as owner and, um, and president of Destination South today? Sure. Um- I never anticipated um, going into the hospitality industry. When I was in college in um, the 1980s, I didn't even know that hospitality was a career. So unlike um, many people like you, Andy, and others who majored in hospitality, I was a journalism major. And I ended up doing an internship with the Georgia Department of Industry, Trade, and Tourism. And through that internship, I traveled across the state of Georgia with the then director of tourism, Hannah Ledford, promoting our state um, across the country. And I um, also ended up doing an internship with the Athens Convention and Visitors Bureau. And I, um, along with um, other representatives of communities in middle Georgia, formed Georgia's Antebellum Trail, which is a designated trail by our legislature, and it promotes Macon, um, Madison, Eatonton, Milledgeville, Athens, Watkinsville, and those communities have come together, and this trail has generated millions of dollars in economic impact, and I'm so hopeful in the current times that we're living in that the leaders in those communities can now come together and tell both stories, um, both sides of the story of what happened along the trail um, so that um, African-American history is also represented even though it may make us feel uncomfortable. But my roots are definitely in 
small to middle sized communities um, throughout the state of Georgia. I work with the Savannah Convention and Visitors Bureau um, and then the DeKalb Convention and Visitors Bureau before starting my own business. Perfect, yeah. And, um, you know, the Annabelle Trail actually holds a special place in my heart because when I worked at the Madison CVB, I was a board member uh, for that association and, and got to see everything that it did for the economy. So it's a, it's a fantastic trail and one that has actually been modeled uh, a lot of other communities and, and different associations um, have modeled themselves after. So um, glad to hear that. And, and I, I'd certainly agree. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, like a convention and visitors bureau, CBB, it's a mouthful. So DMC, destination management company, what exactly is it that you do? Thank you for asking. It's amazing to me how many people do not understand what a destination management company does and how we're different from a destination management organization, DMO, um, so, um, or destination marketing organization. A DMC is a professional services company, and we have extensive local knowledge, expertise, and resources. So in other words, because of our connections and our knowledge of our communities, we can show visitors, meeting planners, tour operators, things that they couldn't do on their own. Um, we can get them in with a private chef that they would never be able to um, secure on their own or getting them in after hours into an antique store um, for a special session on antiquing or mixology. We specialize in the design and implementation of events, activities, tours, team building, corporate picnics, transportation, and all program logistics. Awesome. And you know, I feel like kind of uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of what DMCs did was really, really focused around, you know, group tours, arranging group tours, arranging transportation, you know, lunches, dinners, and, and, and things like that for groups that are in town. Um, can you talk a little bit about how those services have really kind of expanded into the management of live events and, um, you know, even large scale productions that people might typically not think of you all as, you know, you, you have an expertise in that. Absolutely. And um, part of working with a DMC is being involved in the strategy of what you're trying to accomplish with your conference or your event, beginning in the very um, initial st stages of planning a conference. What are your goals and objectives? What are you hoping to accomplish? What local resources can you bring in? Personalities, um, information on the city, experiences in the city that will help you drive that message to your attendees, whether it's through marketing, the conference or meeting or event, um, or um, having an opportunity to attract more of your attendees to a destination, um, to getting what that message is that you're trying to accomplish. And at Destination South, we've actually taken that strategy and expanded our services. So we are now full service in conference and management and production, audio visual, working on the content, working on the general sessions. So we've taken the information that we've used as a DMC and grown our business to also cover meeting production. Right, yeah, one of, the, one of my favorite things that I used to tell uh, clients or people that did, didn't quite fully understand what a DMC was uh, when I worked at Destination South was that we were event planners on steroids. <laughs> we have our hands full <laughs> of everything. Um, that's great. Well, and we'll shift right now is now that we've got a background on Destination South and, and really kind of your progression throughout the travel industry and where you are now, 
you know, one of the common uh, topics of conversation is how it's affected different industries differently. And, you know, I think it's, it's very uh, important to share that not every single industry is affected the same throughout this, um, you know, this pandemic. Uh, we, we've seen that there are industries that are absolutely thriving right now. We know that real estate's good. We know that, you know, paper product manufacturers are having, you know, outstanding years. Um, and, and there are other sectors and other industries that are doing very well too. But, you know, the travel and hospitality industry um, at its peak experienced 51% unemployment. We've still got, you know, folks that are trying to figure out how to land on their feet. We've got folks in the, the travel sector that are shifting out of the industry altogether to try to find out, uh, you know, what's something new that they can do to make a living. So talk to me about how the pandemic has had an effect on destination management and on the events industry. Certainly. Um, Andy, as you know, we are celebrating our 25th year in business at Destination South this year. I never thought I'd be celebrating 25 years in this current environment. And um, the virus has been absolutely devastating to the meetings and hospitality industry. You know, I, I've seen a lot of things in 25 years and, and the virus is worse than 9-11 and the downturn in 2018 combined. Um, and the runway for recovery gets longer and longer each day. Um, I was excited to talk to a hotel colleague of mine who had just been called back from furlough for December until I learned that it's December of 2021, not next month. We're hearing that hotels are are operating at 30% occupancy and need to be at 50% occupancy to survive. And there's such a trickle down effect that I, I don't see people realizing the impact of one live event actually, and I've counted on my hand, actually hits 11 industries directly and indirectly, airports, ground transportation and ride share, restaurants, hotels, audiovisual, CVBs, associates at hotels, venues, attractions, retail, meeting planners themselves, and seeing the trickle down even into professional services like accounting and legal. Um, Andy, you start to see the interdependencies of industries, and that's what we're all forgetting. We're forgetting that one small event, a board meeting of 10 people, or, or a citywide convention for the Atlanta metro area is dependent on all these industries. And you know, you, you stop and think about um, retail and, and shopping, but also every time I travel to a conference, I forget something. So I have to run out and buy something from a store in a local community. And I can't help um, but think about from a, a metro Atlanta area, all the Coca-Cola and craft beer and Chick-fil-A that aren't being served at festivals and concerts and meetings. And, you know, what is that going to do? Um, you know, you mentioned uh, online shopping and grocery stores and paper products, but with so many hospitality and meeting professionals out of business, at what point are we going to get uh, to a time that we can no longer afford to shop? Um, on Amazon or start to have to think about how we're going to have to spread our, our dollars at the grocery store. Um, it's you know, very, very concerning and, and you're hearing that the recovery could be into 2022 and 2023. And one other thought on, on this side of our conversation is um, 
the shaming that we're seeing in our industry of colleagues um, who are shaming those of us who are trying to figure out how to get back to the business of meetings, events, and tourism. And we need to stop shaming and start to collaborate on how to continue to improve and build upon our safety protocols that'll help us get back to business. And I know we're gonna talk a little bit more about that. And you know, I'm not sure that today in, in the midst of coming off the election and rising COVID cases that we wanna jump head first into meetings and events, but it is time to start talking about the future and what Q1 and Q2 of next year and beyond is going to look like. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, right there with you. And that's actually the perfect segue into um, you know, another topic. And, and that is how do we safely get back to business? Um, you started seeing a lot of different companies that are meeting virtually. We've got work from home that is being uh, supported big time from a lot of these corporations, you know, full out into next year. Um, but there is an opportunity to start doing some things creatively, uh, sales kickoffs that are happening virtually, uh, you know, and then, and then transitioning into, into what we're calling the hybrid, which is half in person, half virtual for those attendees that, that aren't quite comfortable. So um, would you mind sharing a little bit about what you're seeing from that end? I know you probably shifted business models to accommodate that. So what all are you doing to support that side of things? We were very fortunate in February that one of our local corporate clients happened to be vacationing in Spain and she saw the virus headed our way and asked us to start planning a virtual global sales conference for 400 people in conjunction with planning for it live in Las Vegas in May. So in tandem, we were play, planning live and also planning for virtual. So we were able to start figuring out virtual um, while other people were just talking about it, thanks to this corporate client. And one of the things that we've learned is that we've had to re-educate people on what virtual is, and, and we'll come back and talk about hybrid in just a moment, but we have to get people to understand that just because they've been on a Zoom or Teams meeting, um, that um, it, it is different for engaging on virtual. And I think a big part of it, Andy, is communicating to your attendees what to expect through a virtual event. Um, we developed a video that we send out to attendees in advance of a virtual meeting, conference, or event to walk attendees through the platform, get them, in, get them very comfortable with what they're going to be experiencing, and how to engage and interact um, with other attendees. Um, we've also found with virtual, the activations from the moment you log on, engaging that attendee, whether maybe it's a trivia contest as you're waiting for everyone to log in, um, we've done a conference playlist where we've asked attendees to send in their favorite song and we've created a playlist. We just did a really fun photo contest where we ask everyone to send in a photo. Um, our theme was uh, shoulder to shoulder social distancing and we got folks to send in um, pictures of them doing work throughout the state of Georgia, um, working shoulder to shoulder, of course, with their mask on. We did a family feud contest where people sent in the questions and answers in advance and then we played family feud. We've done yoga and other self-care. Um, we have questions of how folks are starting their mornings. What is their current work location like and how have they adapted? 
Um, you know, one of my favorites is the pets of the attendees. Um, how do you escape and recharge? Um, and just realizing that there are so many distractions when you're on um, Zoom, especially for those of you who are homeschooling um, or have other obligations. So just engaging, um, realizing that you can't take a conference that's three days and keep someone engaged and interested for three days. The agendas have to be shorter. There has to be more re rehearsals in advance. There's no more just testing the speaker um, during the morning break before they go on for their session um, at 11 o'clock. So a lot goes into it in the beginning. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and so you hit on communication. You actually hit on a couple of things that I think we can talk about. Um, communication and then the expectations of safety on site. Uh, so as we kind of trickle into the, the actual hybrid type setup where um, you, you know, you're combining the virtual aspect of it, but then you actually are seeing some folks on site who are participating, which means you're working with the hotel or the event facility. You know, how are you communicating uh, to your attendees in that regard? How are you addressing the safety pro uh, protocols in communication, but also on site? How are you basically giving peace of mind to the clients through, through the work you're doing with the venues? Yes, and this is what I'm so excited to talk about today. I call it um, uh, 2.0 beyond PPE and going into the hybrid meetings because there are people who are ready to meet live and those, there are still those who are not, who want the virtual options. So going into Q1 and Q2 of next year, we are seeing many more hybrid meetings. And I think that in order to be successful, you have to stop and think, we know what's driving us as meeting planners. It's our livelihoods. We want to get meetings back in business. But you have to think about what is driving the meeting planner and their leadership teams to get back to any kind of live or hybrid meeting. So I think you have to do some research and discovery with the corporations and associations who are trying to move forward. You also have to look at what drives a participant or guest to want to attend a meeting or a social event. Once you've asked those questions, looking at what is the science currently telling us? What are the state and local protocols? And what's the risk threshold for your organization? And what is your employee sentiment? You can't just force people to come to a meeting because you're holding it. So that brings us to appeasing both sides through hybrid meetings. Um, one of the things that we've been doing is a communication on the front end for a hybrid. We just conducted on October 14th a successful, successful hybrid with 100 live attendees and 240 joining us virtually. We sent out a lot of advanced communication. Um, for instance, we asked everyone who came live to valet, not to valet, but to self-park. And we reimbursed people for self-parking but not valet because we believe self-parking is safer at this point. Mm -hmm. um, we also sent out a health screening on a QR code so they could fill out um, their health screening. We had EMTs um, on site. So when they entered the ballroom or pre-function area, there was um, a screening and also a temperature check. Um, and Andy, I think this is so important, both for meetings and social, such as wedding and mitzvahs. Um, we had testing on site. We had rapid testing on site. We have a company called Wellness for Humanity, 
And they will also send kits out to attendees at their home so they can test before they come to um, the live event. Um, we had a company out of Statesboro, Georgia, that has the devices that you can wear on your name tag that tell you when you've been um, six feet with someone for 15 minutes. It also helps you do contact tracing. Um, so we had some new technology, um, acrylic um, sidewalls for trade show booths instead of fabric. We had branded acrylic on the high boy tables at the registration site. Even on stage for um, the panels, we had acrylic dividers between our speakers. Um, we had floor clings, hand sanitizers, a kiosk for printing your name tags. One of the things that we had too that was very um, successful was the Live Strong type wristbands. Mm -hmm. And we had them in green, yellow, and red. So that green, if you felt comfortable, um, maybe giving somebody an elbow bump, um, yellow if you were more cautious, and red if you really wanted people to keep their distance from you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we want everybody to follow the same protocols, but what we're finding is that attendees don't necessarily do that. So those wristbands really helped us visually show people um, how to um, be reminded to keep their distance. I could go on and on about this. One other thing I want to share about what we did on site is um, in addition to one-way entrances and one-way exits, we, um, take, we would take breaks. We had colored um, tablecloths so that if you were yellow, you exited through the door marked yellow, red through the red door. We had a mixture of um, individual um, executive chairs with a table six foot tables with a chair on either side and then your typical round tables with only four chairs. So there's so much that we were able to do to keep people safe and then following up after um, to double check on if there were any positive tests from the virus and there have not been um, and this has been three weeks out. Got it. This was great and Cynthia I'm going to switch it up on you a little bit. Um, because I think we can go directly into another topic, which is uh, which ties directly into what you're talking about. You know, we're putting all these different things in place, different systematic processes to you know to make uh, the uh, the attendee feel good to let them know that that we can safely bring back meetings. But let's talk about the legalities of all this. You know, you're working with different hotels, you're working with potentially a convention center, um, a special events venue. You've got a number of different venues that are interacting with with um, folks to to pull this off. So who bears the responsibility? You know, what are you all working into your contracts with your clients? How are waivers, if, if waivers are being utilized uh, for attendees, what does that all look like? Well, Georgia actually has a code. It's Georgia code OCGA 51-16-3. And um, your businesses there in Roswell should all have this posted. Um, under Georgia law, there is no liability for an injury or death of an individual entering a premise if the injury or death is um, the cause of COVID-19. Um, as individuals, when we go into businesses in Roswell, we are assuming this risk by entering these premises. So that is Georgia law as far as covering liability. Of course, in, in our state, you can sue anybody for any time for any reason. So in June, when we produced our first live meeting down in Charleston, South Carolina, 
we worked with our attorneys to create some legal documents. I'm happy to share these with your listeners. Um, one, our first legal document is between ourselves and our client, and it outlines what we both agree to, what safety protocols, as well as um, our liability to one another, find and binding legal document. Other side on our vendors, we also ask our vendors to provide us with their safety protocols two weeks out so that we can review them and make sure that they are um, doing everything in their power um, to provide a safe environment through their services. We do have waivers for attendees to sign um, and we also have waivers for our vendors to sign and all of those are legally binding and again happy to share those. The one thing that's been our greatest challenge is how do you police this with the attendees? You know, with our vendors, we can, we can police it if they're not following our protocols, um, starting with the check-in process through on-site. But it's really having to work hand-in-hand -hand with the meeting planners and leadership of our clients because it is an awkward situation when an attendee is not wearing a mask, is not socially distanced, is hugging, is dancing on the dance floor. So there have to be some very candid conversations with the meeting planners and the leadership team on who is going to step up and ask the attendee to follow protocols because it's awkward for the hotel or the restaurant or the DMC to um, interject with the attendees. That's been the biggest challenge we found. Sure, and you know, when you look at it that way, I mean, it's still, this is novel. I mean, you know, that's the term, the novel coronavirus. I mean, people are having to figure out <laughs> how to even have that conversation. Uh, it's not like we've had, you know, 15, 20, 50 years of experience to look back on to, um, you know, to establish protocol. I mean, we've essentially had to figure this out <laughs> in the middle of March. Um, and, you know, I'd argue that we really didn't get a handle on it even until summer, you know, because um, it took a little while to figure out what we were even dealing with. So this is still, I know it seems like we've been going through this for, you know, majority of the year, but this is still very new. And, uh, you know, companies are having to ask those questions and establish those protocols and, and shift, you know, on a dime um, to adapt. And it's, only, you know, I, I, I would say we would like to see that a vaccine comes out and we're, you know, on the uh, right track of recovery sooner than later, but this might be something that we're dealing with and, and people have to understand that and work with us on it for sure. So let's exactly. shift, uh, yeah, let's shift gears a little bit and um, kind of uh, shamelessly focus on Roswell a little bit. You know, you all focus heavily in Atlanta, Midtown, uh, Downtown, Buckhead, uh, you know, you've got offices uh, that have expanded into Charleston, South Carolina, you work in Savannah, all of those communities and cities are different from one another. So the type of business you have in, in Charleston looks uh, greatly different than the type of business you have in Atlanta. And the type of business in Atlanta and the downtown market is totally different really than what we would have in Roswell. So do you see an advantage in smaller destinations? Uh, you know, and we're still a population of 96,000, but when you look at our special events venues, when you look at our hotels, Roswell really on paper has more of a small town feel. Do, do you see an advantage in that? I'm so glad you asked that because I did want to talk about um, what I see for Roswell because of what we're seeing in Charleston. I believe the future for Roswell um, is so bright in getting back to recovery from the virus. 
um, definitely the smaller town feel, the smaller community, the outdoor space, um, the drivability that there are, um, the drive market of attendees who can get to Roswell for events. We're seeing that in Charleston. We're seeing right now, it's very exciting, live events sticking for Q1 in Charleston, whereas for Atlanta as a larger destination, we aren't seeing anything sticking in person until Q3 or Q4 of next year. Um, the outdoor space that you have, being able to get outside, the, the smaller venues for smaller groups where they feel like you know, they're the big fish um, and they're, they're important and they're special. And it's private because the venues are small enough, there's not going to be another group of people um, in, in the venue or the restaurant or the historic home there. So I see recovery in Roswell and all that you have to see and do um, and experience there um, as a huge um, asset in getting back to recovery. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, I agree. It's one of those situations where we've been at the CVB heavily marketing our outdoor spaces and that's, that's where it's at right now, whether you're, you know, it's leisure and you're hiking um, you know, coming into the uh, into the summer and, and even early fall, people, you know, in droves or out on the river, um, kind of getting back to nature. Uh, and, and really, we've been really promoting the, uh, the patios as well. And it, it's funny that we're talking about this, too, because we're actually about to launch a campaign uh, called Come Cozy, Dine Out. And we, we got feedback from our restaurants that, you know, we still have these amazing outdoor dining spaces. It's just that when people typically show up, if it's a little chilly outside, they're, they're, they're opting not to dine on the patio because they didn't prepare for it. Um, you know, because they showed up in a, in a thin uh, long sleeve t-shirt instead of preparing in advance and bringing a jacket. And so that's, uh, as we kind of get into these co cooler months, uh, that's what we're going to be focusing on for the restaurants and the breweries. And then even, you know, people strolling Canton street and shopping um, Canton street as well. So outdoor, the outdoor, um, scene is definitely definitely not going away anytime uh, time soon in our opinion. No, um, it is interesting that you said that because when I think of Roswell, um, one word I think of to describe Roswell is cozy and restorative. Um, so I love that campaign and also reminds me of traveling to Prague and the, there's so much outdoor dining and they have the, the blankets that you can put over your legs. So maybe the outdoor dining spaces in Roswell could be inspired um, to provide a cozy throw or pashmina or blanket for um, the outside. I think we're all sick and tired of being stuck indoors. So the idea of being outside is just fabulous. All right. I might be taking that idea. You might just <laughs> turn me on to something here. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, before we get into our final um, Roswell specific questions, is there anything else you would like um, to address our audience with. Did we miss anything? Anything you want to say, you know, in regard to the events industry? Do you feel like we covered it? This is your open time to, to comment. I do, and I appreciate the listeners being open-minded to thinking of the future and how we can work hand-in-hand -hand and shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder, um, to get back um, to the business of meetings and events because in the long term, uh, it does infect it affects all of us. And, and there are days I wonder how our economy is still standing as strong as it is with all the people that are um, out, of, out of work. 
um, in our industry. So I'm hopeful for the future. Um, and I think if we just start to work together, um, I think getting a vaccine, um, we didn't talk too much about the social, but I think for, for social weddings and that type thing, having the vaccine is gonna be what it takes, but we can make baby steps in the meantime um, to get back to live and continue virtual and hybrid. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, a good comment. I think even when the vaccine's out, we know there's a group that's not going to take the vaccine. So they're probably still going to be um, a little bit more hesitant to get out and about. So if we are able to really move forward with these different model shifts and, and do them the right way, I think that's only gonna be beneficial. And you know, as well as I do, there's nobody more hardworking than the hospitality professional. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think the hospitality professional is gonna grind until the very last spent uh, cent is spent. So um, we're, we're definitely here for, as, uh, for the long run, hopefully, and as long as we can be. Um, so let's transition. We wrap up uh, these different uh, podcasts with a series of questions that are Roswell focused. You hit on a couple uh, descriptors earlier, but um, if you had a client that was considering Roswell, or if you had a friend or a family member that was, uh, that was considering Roswell that had never visited, how exactly would you tell them to experience our destination? Sure. Well, with a client, my first thing, of course, would be to call you and your team at Visit Roswell on the Convention and Visitors Bureau. Absolutely. The, the very first call to make or email to send. And with a visitor, this, you know, the same. Stop at the visitor center. And um, I mean, and you guys have a great website, too. So in planning travel, get on your website. And then once you get there, go by the visitor center. Definitely walking the square and the side streets to experience Roswell. Um, all the great restaurants and craft beer and bourbon and boutiques and antique shops. And then I personally love the Chattahoochee Nature Center. That is, in my mind, um, a must see and a must experience when you're in Roswell. And um, that's, that's where I would start, get out and walk and just experience it. And as I said to me, Andy, it's so restorative. It just, I can feel the stress just oozing away when I'm in Roswell. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. And another plug for Chattahoochee Nature Center. We, we work very closely with Chris and their team over there. They do a fantastic job. I don't think there's any other that, that really um, is as good as they are. Uh, maybe I'm being biased, but they are top notch in, in every way. So I appreciate you calling them out. Um, five words that you would use to describe Roswell. Well, um, cozy came to mind first. I would also say charming. I almost said historic, but you're, you're not a, a museum. Um, and I think you're a blend of history and all um, types of different architecture and easy lifestyles that are more uh, current. So I'm gonna go with charming, um, definitely walkable. Um, and then um, I have to say dog friendly because we have two beagles oh, yeah. and um, we've been to Roswell with our dogs. So dog friendly and then um, festive, um, both in the excitement of feeling festive, but also all the festivals that um, you have and special events. Love it. Yeah. We can't wait to get those back. That's for sure. And um, thank you for saying that about dog friendly too. We've got a, uh, one of our big campaigns that's been highly successful is our Patios for Paul's campaign, where we uh, market, you know, the different establishments and uh, restaurants, retailers that are that are dog friendly. And Cynthia, I don't know if I'd ever told you this, but 
that was one of the things when we launched that campaign, what we realized when we started asking questions of who is dog friendly, it really became, okay, who's not dog friendly because so many are. <laughs> um, and that's been a- I appreciate that. And Andy, I've really, I have so many favorite um, Roswell restaurants and venues and shops. I've worked really hard during our time together not to call anyone out um, because I'm afraid that I would leave someone off. So just know um, <laughs> I've had so many great meals and spent so much money in shops and um, yeah, that I'd like to call them all out, but no, I love them all. Oh, we know, we know. Yep, absolutely. Sure. All right, well, as we wrap this up, um, Cynthia, let everyone know how best to, uh, to get in contact with Destination South, to learn more about your company um, and, and the DMC network, the DMC uh, services in general. Where can they get more info from you? Absolutely. Um, for some of the documents we talked about today, if anyone's interested in the legal documents or um, seeing some of the protocol that we put in place for our hybrid meetings, please email me. It's C Alford, my last name, C-A-L-F-O-R-D at destinationsouth.com or just to check out our services, our website is destinationsouth.com. Good deal. And again, uh, anyone can get information from us at Visit Roswell. Our website also is www.visitroswellga.com. We've got custom itineraries, information on all the different hotels, the restaurants, things to do, uh, what we're doing uh, really to, um, to make our visitors feel safe and welcome during the pandemic. Everything's loaded into our website. We hope you take a visit there as well, as also as um, taking a look at destinationsouth.com. Uh, so thank you to all of our listeners for being a part of this podcast, and we look forward to joining you again in the future. Mm -hmm.